There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... When a person becomes a victim, loved ones watch as their bright future and all their plans come to an abrupt halt. On December 21st, 1992, a young woman had her life ripped away from her in a crime that took over two decades to solve and is still being battled in courtrooms even now. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Christy Mirak seemed to have everything she wanted in life. Living in the same Lancaster, Pennsylvania apartment complex as a few girls from her close-knit group of college friends, she got her dream job and devoted her time and effort into becoming the best teacher she could be. Described by the then-principal at her school as creative, captivating, and always striving to not only keep her students motivated, but to become a truly great teacher— Christy didn't look at her new job as work and arrived each and every single day excited for new opportunities. Which is exactly why, when students arrived in class at 8.30 a.m. and found the room empty, the principal called the 25-year-old's apartment and when all of those calls went unanswered, he decided to contact her family and then head to her place himself. When he did, door left ajar he found the young, bright, and beautiful teacher lying dead inside of her apartment. Lying there amidst the signs of a, quote, brutal struggle were the Christmas presents she had carefully wrapped up to bring to her students on what were some of the final days of classes before the holiday break. It seemed as though whoever attacked and killed Christy Mira did so as she was about to leave and head to work. Police were called, and when the nightmare of a scene was processed, they realized that Christy, on top of being brutally beaten, was sexually assaulted by the unknown assailant. A brazen individual who somehow pulled off a daylight attack. According to Christy's roommate, she left the apartment at around 7 a.m. and noticed that her friend seemed distracted. Not sure why, police began looking into the teacher's life and found that Christy was in a relationship with a man 20 years her senior who went by the nickname Dagger. With her friends claiming that they were unimpressed by the match, they said that Christy seemed devoted to her new man, other than the fact that he worked as a president of the local Teamsters and that he was in no rush to get married, the friends really didn't know much else about Dagger. They did say, however, that just two days before being killed, Christy mentioned that the relationship was coming to an end. Troubled by this mystery man, police continued to search and learned that, the day after the murder, school officials reportedly stopped a man walking around the hallways, and when questioned, he said he was there to see Christy Mirak. He allegedly had no clue that she had been murdered, and when police went to identify this man, they found out that he was the dagger her friends had been telling them about. Though this seemed suspicious, the man had an airtight alibi. He was hundreds of miles away in Virginia with his wife and voluntarily submitted a DNA sample that conclusively removed him from the list of suspects. Ruling out both Dagger and the idea of a hired hitman, noting how professionals didn't typically get into hand-to-hand -hand combat with their targets and leave behind DNA, they looked into that principal, Harry Goodman, and were able to rule him out as well. 
At a bit of a dead end, police spoke with neighbors who claimed they saw a white car just outside her apartment before the murder took place. Unfortunately, they were unable to locate or identify the vehicle, and the case started to grow cold and stayed as such for the next 25 years. Right around the time investigators decided to use the new technology available and found through genetic phenotyping that Christie's killer was someone with a mix of Latino and European descent and managed to create a sketch of the killer using genetics, a woman decided to upload her ancestry and DNA results into a public genealogy database, getting the ping that they had long been searching for in 2018 and confirming the results by testing a discarded piece of gum and a water bottle, the DNA left behind at the scene of Christie's murder and sexual assault were matched to the woman's half-brother, Raymond Rowe. Raymond Rowe, a popular local DJ who went by the name DJ Freeze, had no known connections to Christie Mirak other than the fact that he had worked around the time of the murder at a few of the popular dance clubs and that his day job was close by her apartment. Never considered a suspect in the initial investigation, police believed that this man likely drove by her apartment when going to and from work and marked her as a target. Either that or he saw her at a club while she was out with friends. Regardless, his DNA was found at the scene and on June 25th, 2018, Raymond Rowe was officially arrested. Pleading guilty to criminal homicide, three counts of rape by forcible compulsion, and two counts of involuntary deviate sexual intercourse in 2019, Raymond was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole and an additional 60 to 120 years. However, in 2020, he withdrew that plea and his defense filed an appeal seeking post-conviction DNA testing. He changed his story and was now claiming that he and Christy had consensual sex and that when he left her townhouse that day, she was alive and well. Claiming someone else must have killed her, he said he was pressured by both the prosecution and defense to plead, even though he swore he was an innocent man. He said he was kept in isolation prior to the decision, sometimes without clothes and only a thin blanket before being told that if he did not plead guilty, he would likely be sentenced to death and never see his wife or daughter ever again. Though he was under the impression that the state no longer carried out the death penalty, his attorney allegedly told him it would be reinstated in three years and that he should take the plea now and then challenge the conviction from prison. By the time he finally made the decision, he said he was worn down, had lost weight, and was sick. In the PCRA petition he put forth, Raymond, amongst other things, asked for the cutting board inside of Christie's home, the one found near her head and presumed to be the murder weapon, to be tested, as well as a toaster, a pair of pants, her sweater, and her undershirt. Claiming that while his DNA was found on her body from their sexual encounter, it would not be found on any of the other items present during her murder. The request was officially denied in 2020, with the judge presiding over the hearings claiming he failed to meet the first requirement of the post-conviction DNA testing statute, which requires, quote, that the testing requested was not performed because A, the technology was not available, or B, counsel requested funds for testing and that the request was denied. 
He also allegedly failed to, quote, demonstrate a reasonable possibility that favorable results of the requested DNA testing would establish his innocence. The Supreme Court upheld the denial in 2023. And as of now, Raymond Rowe remains behind bars, maintaining his innocence. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on December 22nd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.